Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Good morning. You guys were singing mighty nice, mighty nice. Uh, so I am Dustin Allman, pastor at the Fort Church, and we are glad to be part of this. This is, this is the second year in a row that we've been able to be part of this, and I thank uh, uh, Pastor Joel and Pastor Brian at One Church. Thank you guys for um, uh, just, first of all, just being friends, just friends and co-laborers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reality is, is that there is a like-mindedness that uh, we have and, and our leadership teams have, and we just want to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and be the hands and feet of Jesus, living life on mission. And, uh, and so I get with those guys pretty regularly, and we've just formed a good friendship. And last year, Joel did a great job. Um, I believe it was in John chapter 17. Is that correct? Wherever you are. Uh, and, and we looked at unity. And we talked about unity and we use words like collaboration. We use words like partnership or we are kingdom minded together. And one of the things that I've just been praying through and praying for is that we would be willing to take that next step. Uh, so what does our coming together as uh, three separate churches and, and maybe there are some others who were invited uh, and we are glad that you are here. But what does that look like when we take the next step together. And so this week, some, some words that have come to my mind as a result of our unity and partnership um, is, it, well, really the sentence. When churches can come together like this, the community should feel the effects of it, right? If we're going to get together, our city and our neighborhoods and our communities, they, they should see the effects of our coming together, now, I know everybody's excited for the food trucks, all right? Uh, I, I know my people are like, listen, if you go too long, I'm just going to uh, dip out and I'm going to come back with some food and I, a, a, as you finish. Uh, but, but we want the community to feel the effects of our partnership in the gospel together, amen? And so I've been thinking of words like uh, extension or manifestation, transformation, personal engagement. Uh, and then this word hit me, and Joel had said, hey, you know, we've been kind of praying through this thematically, and we've been thinking about neighbors. What, and and, and the, the text that he shared with us was the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. And there you see a neighbor. Now, we all have neighbors, uh, unless you live on an island, uh, and some of you, you have noisy neighbors. Anybody? Some of you had, have nosy neighbors. I have one of those. All right? Uh, some of you have your Clark Gr Griswold type of neighbor. Anybody? Some of you are realizing right now that you are, in fact, that neighbor. Right? And we choose our friends, don't we? But we, we don't choose our family, and we don't always choose our neighbors. And I'm not even sure what neighboring is anymore. We're not very good at it, are we? We, we don't build front porches. What do we build? Back decks, right? Uh, we have these tall fences that uh, we don't 
that are there so we don't have to see anyone or they can't see us or, or we don't have to talk to anyone, right? And I was thinking of a tall fence and there was an old sitcom. So if you were born before 1990, you may remember this sitcom. It was called Home Improvement. You remember that? Uh-huh. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, with uh, Tim Allen. And if you were born after 1990, he's also Buzz Lightyear or the Santa Claus. All right. Uh, but but he, he became famous in a sitcom called Home Improvement. And he had this neighbor. Uh, and, and I don't know whose fence it was, but there was a tall fence that separated his family from the neighbor. His neighbor's name was Wilson. And, and he's one of my favorite neighbors in sitcom history. And, and until the very last episode, you only see half his face. Only half of his face is there. Some of you would like a neighbor like that, right? Uh, and, and throughout the, the, the seasons, a common theme was that the family would be uh, making a life decision. There would be a crisis in their family or with their job or with their, uh, uh, with their spouse or just in, in life, school perhaps. And he just listens. He just listens to them and then he just begins to drop nuggets of wisdom on them, Right? And now maybe he listened because he was retired, but I never remember him refusing to listen. And there was never a scene that I can remember in which Tim, the tool man, Taylor, comes out and Wilson tries to avoid him and tries to go back into the house. He's always listening. He's never forceful. And he gives good advice. He's always wanting to help. And the fence, that fence, it lets us know that they lived next door, but as a good neighbor, as Wilson is, Jesus has given us a better way to be a gospel neighbor, to meet real needs. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10 or your Bible app, Luke chapter 10. And uh, uh, Kyle had said that you guys uh, from Grace Fellowship, you take notes uh, and you put it on the app. So um, I hurried over to get you some notes. All right. So that was that was for you guys. Um, so Luke chapter 10, and Jesus tells us a story. But before this story, there is a meeting between a religious leader and Jesus. And we will pick it up in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. And it says, And behold, a lawyer, or a religious leader, stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength, with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, this is the religious leader, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Now, there are a lot of thoughts here, uh, but the first thing that I, I wanna, want you to write down or want you to take note of, we sense that life has purpose, don't we? There is this innate sense within us that life actually has purpose, it actually has meaning, therefore, we ask questions about eternity. We ask questions about life's priorities. And the text even says, opening up, that he was trying to test Jesus. 
But this man, had, this man has certainly been tossing around these questions. So even if he was testing him, you know that he has had these questions for himself at some point in his life. Questions about the future, questions about eternity, questions about salvation. And Jesus turns it back on him with a question of his own. Essentially, Jesus is saying, you're, you're a Bible guy. You went to Awanas growing up. You got the Sunday school badges. You tell me. Tell me, big guy. What, what is it? What's the answer? And this reality of being a neighbor comes up. And Jesus says, you're right. Yes, that is correct. Love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. You see, as we go through life, as we live life, we will see that a purposeful life, a meaningful life, is not an isolated life. I'll say that again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to amen myself. A purposeful life is not an isolated life. A purposeful life is divinely connected to others, right? To neighbors. Now, this man doesn't disagree with Jesus, but he's not satisfied. He's not totally satisfied. He, he has more. And, and in verse 29, you even see, he says, but desiring to justify himself, he says, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor then? Who is my neighbor? This man wants to know exactly who his neighbor is. He's justifying himself. He's trying to save himself. He's trying to get to heaven. He's trying to find eternal life. What must I do? What do I need to work towards? And he wants to make sure that he has all of his T's crossed and all of his uh, uh, I's dotted. I almost said dotted I's. Uh, He wants to make sure that every single box is checked off so he can get to heaven. So he can get to eternity. And he needs to know exactly who Jesus has in mind when he says, go love your neighbor as yourself. Who qualifies for that? Surely Jesus doesn't mean that everybody is my neighbor, right? And so at first, it looks like Jesus is going to give a formula for how to get to heaven. Jesus uh, appears to say, well, if you love God and you love your neighbor, then that's what it takes to get into heaven. However, however... I think Jesus is doing something drastically different. He's doing something drastically different. This religious leader is like a lot of people in our culture, right? It's like maybe even a lot of our neighbors. It may even be a lot like people that we attend church with. He thinks that he can earn his way to God. He thinks that there is a path, that there is some type of criteria that he can meet to earn favor with God. God, that he could be good enough, that that he could keep enough rules, that he could obey enough laws, do enough good works, and then maybe God would accept him into heaven. And so he's trying to justify himself. Now, do you feel the gravity of what Jesus is telling him, if what he has to do to save himself? He's saying you have to love God with everything in you. Every fiber of your being, you have to love God. God, in order to save yourself. It, it looks like that's what Jesus is saying um, um, above the surface. You have to do this perfectly with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. And Jesus says, in order to go to heaven, you have to love God all of the time with all of your being. And then if that's not enough, he says, and then you've got to love your neighbor 
the same way that you love yourself. The exact same way. You have to meet the needs of your neighbor with all of the passion and with all of the joy and with all of the power with which you meet your own needs. You have to be as happy for them when their needs are met as you would your own because you have put your happiness inside their happiness. So now what makes you happy is what makes them happy. Now, just out of curiosity, how many have done that this week even? How many have loved God with every fiber of your being this week? How many have loved your neighbor with everything in you this week? Anybody? I, I see no hands, so I can safely assume that we can move on, right? No, we, no, we didn't raise our hand. And I think this is the point. I, Jesus isn't merely giving him a formula and how to get himself into heaven. He's trying to show him that it's impossible to get to heaven based on what we can do. It's impossible. There's nothing we could do to earn our way into heaven. And no one, uh, it, I almost said in this room, no one out here, nobody out here could, has the ability within yourself to get into heaven. Nobody has the power Nobody has the morality. Nobody has uh, the, the dedication or the consistency to make it into heaven. It is impossible. It doesn't matter how polite or moral you think you are. No one has the ability to love God with everything they have and then love their neighbors as themselves. It is impossible. Jesus' hands were nailed to the cross for you. All of your sin... All of your shame, all of your guilt, all of your brokenness, all of your, all of your failures, all of that was put onto Jesus. And he has assumed, he has absorbed your unrighteousness. And guess what? Everything that he is, everything that he has, his beauty, his glory, his power, his innocence, his purity, all of that was then transferred to you. It was transferred to you. And so the only way that any of us could be justified, like this religious leader is trying to do, is to throw ourselves onto Jesus. Is to throw ourselves onto His mercy and His grace and to call out to Him and to trust that He has done the work. That He has done everything necessary to save us. And it's not until that point that you are actually able to live the Christian life. Most modern religion will say that your salvation rests on the work of your hands. But the gospel, the Christian faith, says your salvation rests on the work of Jesus' hands. And isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Number two, so not only does, do we get the sense that life has purpose, but Jesus also shows how life has a purpose, and he gives us a story, a command, and then his own demonstration. And we're actually going to look at his own demonstration uh, as we close. And so the phrase, Good Samaritan, which is what we're going to read. Now, it's become part of modern language, right? Some of you know it as an organization. In fact, we tried to play a video uh, about our friends in Johnson City with the Good Samaritan. They have an awesome project. Go find it online, or you can uh, uh, help out. I think we have a state. Where is the station to drop money in? Right there, it's in the back. Um, so it's back there. And so we're, we want to, again, come together 
so the community feels the effects of it. Uh, but, but many of us just know the Good Samaritan as an organization. I remember presidents have used it to talk about social, uh, social justice or social issues or, or health care. I think we've tamed the significance of the story a little bit, don't you think? I believe we've tamed the significance of the story. And so this continues after this religious leader asks, well, who exactly is my neighbor? Verse 30, Jesus replies, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he, pa he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So, so two people have already passed this man, uh, this man who is in a ditch, in the middle of a road, le uh, bleeding. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii. So he stays with him the night. He takes two denarii. This is about, a denarii was about a, a, a day's wage. And he uh, gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus asks, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Hey, this religious leader doesn't even want to call the man what he is. Uh, uh, the fact that he is a Samaritan. This Samaritan, he rips up his schedule and he actually gets his hands dirty. He actually does something. He stays the night. He gives this man love and compassion. He advocates for this man. He befriends this man who is bleeding on the roadside, who is being passed by the religious leaders of his day. And let me just stop and ask you, who is the person that's bleeding on your road? Who is it that you pass by? Maybe even every day, maybe on your way to work, on your way to church, who is it that God has put in your path that you are choosing to pass by? Now, this is not a story about giving handouts, but this is a story about being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. This isn't drive-by evangelism, but this is a personal investment. Now, we're used to hearing uh, about the glaring things of our day, homelessness, joblessness, addiction, underprivileged kids, maybe uh, supporting the single moms, uh, loving and counseling abused women, racial reconciliation. And we are so thankful that uh, I believe all three of these churches in some way have been involved and engaged to, in these ministries and, and these opportunities to serve. But, but if I'm speaking to the church, and I believe for the most part I am, Let's make sure that we are not simply throwing out some change to these things. Let's make sure that it's, we're not saying... Sorry. That, that we're not... My, I think my tape came loose. Are y'all still with me? No? Five of you? 
All right. Hey, let's make sure that we are actually personally engaging in these endeavors. Go and do likewise. The cool thing is that if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you can actually see needs and meet needs. Yourself. Many of us. Jesus says that this man has compassion. Now, compassion is a great word uh, that, that means that you have such a strong love and, and such a forceful uh, affection for someone that it literally hurts you in your gut. Uh, here's your one Greek word for the day. This word is splagma, and it literally means it, it hurts you in your gut. It's coming from the spleen. And Jesus says this man has that. He really was, he hurt for this man. And so maybe you're asking, well, there's so much to do. There's so many issues to get involved in. What is it that I should focus on? Well, let me ask you this. The Samaritan cared for the person on his path. Who's on your path? One church, not Brian's one church, but just one church in general. <laughs> one church, one person can not meet every single need, Right? I think we have an understanding of that. We can't meet, we can't do everything. But we all probably have a dying man or a dying woman on our road. And if you're saying that there's nobody on your road, you're either A, ignoring it, B, spiritually blind to it, or C, you've just isolated yourself and you've built walls. And Jesus is teaching that a lack of concern for people in need reveals that something is seriously long, uh, wrong with our heart seriously wrong with our heart, a heart that is not bent toward grace and mercy has not experienced true compassion. It's not. When, when we ignore the poor, listen, when we ignore the poor or the needy, we show that we have not yet understood our own poverty. That we've not yet understood our own neediness. When we ignore needs that we see, we have to ask if we understand that our greatest need, in fact, has been met. Now, why do we walk by why is it that we walk by? Well, I would submit to you that it's probably a lot of self-interest. Would you agree? A lot of self-interest that we have. And self-interest is the death of the church. And God has called the church to rescue those who are perishing. So we cannot afford to be self-interested. The gospel that, that we are supposed to believe, in fact, swallows up self-interest. In fact, it's self-denial. The gospel is self-denial. It is cross-carrying. It is Jesus following, which means that it can be risk-taking. Now, I said earlier, good works do not get us into heaven. Only the blood of Jesus Christ will do that. But good works are the fruit of the good news. Good works are a foretaste to the day that God will set all things right. And I see so often that the church is very, very good at passing by on the other side of the road when we should be the ones showing the way, right? We should be the ones showing the way. This man showed the way, and he, he got off his donkey, literally. If you're reading the KJV, you know what that is. Jesus tells this story to answer a question raised by a religious expert and the questioner he wanted to know again how can i get eternal life how can i get to heaven how can i secure myself in the life hereafter and jesus's response actually moves his question to the here and now he says do this and you will live 
This isn't just an invitation to a life of service. He's saying you actually get a life through service. Every day we get a chance to improve the lives of those around us. He says, go and do likewise. He doesn't say, go and agree with my teaching likewise. He doesn't say, go and uh, debate your own course of action likewise, or go and complain about the plight of all of the world likewise. He doesn't say that. He says, go and do likewise. Assigning blame doesn't cure any of society's ills, does it? And there's plenty of blame to go around. But playing the blame game is not an option that is left to us by Jesus Christ. It's not an option. Um, I was listening to the radio the other day, and I saw, uh, I heard one 30-second blurb that was talking about, uh, it was urging me to buy precious metal as a hedge against the economic meltdown, all right? Uh, and then right after that, another warned me of the dangers of cell phone radiation. And then uh, throughout the morning, I heard about global warming and hair loss, all right? Uh, and, and I'm not saying, and I was depressed by 8.07 a.m. That was depressing. And I'm not saying that, you know, don't buy, you know, gold or, or other minerals or that global warming doesn't matter. I, I, but what I am saying is that we can't afford to allow negative vibes paralyze us into inactivity. Into inactivity while people are bleeding all around us. Uh, last thing, the last thing. God's design for his called out people has never changed. It's to be people of blessing. God's design for his people has never, ever changed. God has created the church to be a people partnering with him for a redemptive mission. In fact, this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, we see the call of Abraham. Abram becomes Abraham. And God says, through you, all the nations will be blessed. I am going to use you. And so essentially what he's saying, you are going to be people of blessing. And the mission of God has never changed. The mission is God's. It's not ours because he's the only one with the power and ability to pull it off. Amen? But his mission has given birth to the church. And so being a follower of Jesus means that we follow Jesus. Discipleship only happens when there is followship. And to follow Jesus means that we are denying ourselves, and we are taking up our cross and we are beginning to figure out that it is no longer about you or me. Well, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I only love Jesus the way I want to love him. I want to serve you, Jesus, but I only want to serve you the way I want to serve him. Let me ask you a question. Are we doing what Jesus commanded or are we just really good at recalling his commands? Are we actually doing what Jesus has commanded? Or are we just good at memorizing all that he has commanded? Uh, as we close, I want to give you very briefly just some practical applications. And I, am, and I want you to think individually, not just corporately, but individually. Not just throwing money to causes or saying, well, hey, you know, I don't really do anything or get involved in any kind of ministry, but my church does. And so, so yeah, I'm involved. No, I want you to... Think about you and your family. The first thing that we see in this text, sacrificing your social status for the sake of others. He's, he's sacrificing the social status. He is a Jew. This man is a Samaritan. And Jesus is telling it and exploding the idea that a neighbor means a relationship with the person that, that's next to you, that is on your street. 
the helper and the helpee, in fact, probably don't even live in the same zip code. We know that their social circle circle wasn't the same. Jesus has made it plain that loving our neighbor means engaging with people who need our help. And so for a Jew, the lines were carefully drawn. You over here, you over here. I'm going to stay in my lane. You're going to stay in yours. Now, how would that story have sounded today? It would have been jarring. It would have been jarring. They, They did not associate with one another. And Jesus is making the good Samaritan, the Samaritan, a hero in this story. This was really challenging the audience. Church people in this story didn't come out looking too good. But the Samaritan did. The Samaritan did. In fact, this guy guy wasn't even a believer. He wasn't even a believer. And he was... Now, it's a story, but Samaritans were guilty of some sins. There were some heresies that they really clung to. And Jesus is not calling sin good... Not then and not ever, but he is demonstrating how all can be called good. Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We like categories, don't we? Good people, bad people. Romans chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a rescuer. Jesus is that rescuer. So social status. We also sacrifice our time for the sake of others. If we're not willing to inconvenience ourselves to meet a need by someone we don't know, how are we going to be willing to invest, you know, three to six months in a one-on-one personal discipleship relationship? It's, it's not just inconvenience that we see. In fact, it's also risk. This is a parable, and Jesus doesn't give potential reasons that the priest or the Levite passes by the vulnerable man. He doesn't say maybe they were scared or, or maybe the priest didn't want to become unpure by uh, touching a man who was bleeding. That would have made him impure. He doesn't say, well, uh, maybe they had to pick up their kids or uh, they're late for a meeting. The reasons are irrelevant because they are actively choosing to walk away and not show compassion. They don't love their neighbor as they love themselves. So you see self-protection, you see fear and apathy, and they are not excuses for passing by. Uh, uh, next one, sacrificing your resources for the sake of others. I, one of the challenges in this story is we have to be more than empathetic. We actually have to be helpful. Now, I'm not very good at empathy, and my wife reminds me often. I'm trying to get better at it. We got some people in our church that are just gr- they're just like empathy is just dripping from them. I, like, I want some of that. I, I am too hard sometimes. I understand. Uh, but but we, this is more than empathy. This is, hey, I see a need and this man is vulnerable and I'm going to meet it because I have the resources to do so. And he uses what he has, wine and, and oil. We, we knew that those things would, would help fight infection and, and stimulate healing. He did everything that he knew to do. In America, it's so easy for us to give the scraps. We, we throw some money at things. We, we, we share causes uh, on social media, and we give ourselves a self-righteous pat on the back. But the law is actually commanding us to love our neighbor as ourselves. The gospel tells us to be generous people. Now, being generous doesn't mean that money's not unimportant or or too important but rather it is cheap in comparison to the treasure that jesus christ is and god's economy 
In God's economy, money is not power because He has brought the richness of Himself and He holds nothing back and He gives freely and He redefines wealth for us. So we have resources to give. Next, sacrificing your safety for the sake of others. This, this was known, this road to Jericho was known as the bloody pass. And you see this, the, this, this man, he is bleeding. And robbers have, have beat him up and left him half dead. So this is a dangerous place. And yet this man stops. Stops what he was doing. And heals his wounds. Knowing that there is a chance that they were out there hiding out to attack him too. Again, this is not just inconvenience. This is risk. This is time. This is money. This is risking even your life. There may be people here this morning that God is calling to go to a dangerous place overseas to share the gospel, maybe in a place that the gospel is little known, where Jesus is not talked about. There is a danger in following Jesus. And then lastly, Serving with others for the sake of others. And this, isn't this what we're doing this morning? We're serving with one another for the sake of others. This helper in the story knew that he needed to partner with somebody, didn't he? He knew he needed a partner to make sure that the, all of these man's uh, needs by this man were met. And so what does he do? He finds the innkeeper. He goes to an innkeeper to ensure that this injured man could get what he needed. Listen, many of the issues that plague our neighbors and our communities are going to require a bunch of us to pitch in together. It's going to require a lot of us. And so it may start with one. In the story, Jesus told the Good Samaritan, he he doesn't uh, set up a fund to re-engineer the highway. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't chase down the, 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 the robbers. He doesn't advocate for better police protection on the highway. All right, he, he doesn't, It doesn't even show us that he meets every single person who maybe are broke down or, or injured or hurt. But he did help one, didn't he? He did help one, and one matters. One matters. We owe it to our neighbors to... Let them know how much Jesus cares for them. To know how much He loves him and the full measure of life that He has for them. And so often, religious activity can get in the way of that, right? It can get in the way of that. Where did this man get the ability? Where did this man get the desire and the power to go to such great lengths to do this? Listen, what if this Samaritan was once a dying man? What if he too was a dying man who was traveling this Jericho road and he was the one that was ambushed by robbers? Just what if? And what if they began to take everything that he owned? And what if they had beat him until the point of death? What if his only hope was an act of free grace? What if his only hope was an act of radical neighborly love? Someone stepping in to help him and to save his life. That would probably change him forever if that had happened to him, right? 
He would never again be able to see that same road the same way. He would never again be able to see all of the needs around him and those who are suffering and vulnerable. When he sees a broken person, when he sees one who is in poverty, that would change him and he would feel compelled to help however he could. You see, the only way to get the power to live like this is to recognize that we once were the dying man ourselves, right? We, that was us. We were the dying man. And what Jesus is trying to show us and trying to show this religious leader is that he, in fact, is a dying man himself. This lawyer, this religious leader, he is the one who is beaten. He is the one who is broken. He is the one who is close to an eternal death. He is the one who needs grace. He is the one who needs mercy and compassion and radical love. And this is the only way that his heart would be able to to change is that if he saw himself as the person on the ground bleeding in the road rather than the one on the saddle you see Jesus not only wants us to identify with the priest and the Levite and I say we all have been there right there have been needs that we've just passed on over all of us have done that myself included and he, he does want us to identify with those guys but I think he also wants us to identify with this vulnerable man, seeing our own neediness and our own poverty and brokenness, that, that we were actually not just half dead, we were full dead, right? We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, and yet Christ did not leave us dead, church. He did not leave us dead because on the cross, he did not merely risk his life or inconvenience himself, to help us what did he do he actually gave his life he gave it freely and today he speaks life into our death he comes to our brokenness and our vulnerability and he rescues us with his grace in this way Jesus himself is the good Samaritan Jesus himself is the good Samaritan have y'all seen Toy Story 4 yet yeah twice man we got some ballers over there um, so a couple weeks ago, we went and took Wrigley, uh, my three-year-old, to see Toy Story 4. And uh, towards the beginning of the scene, by the way, there, there's a new character. It's a spork named Forky, all right? And, and it's a creation of Bonnie's. Bonnie makes uh, uh, Forky. And Forky thinks he's trash. I'm trash, I'm trash, and he keeps trying to jump into the trash can. And Woody's trying to save the day, as Woody always does, and, and Woody is going after him and pulling him out all the time and pulling him out, and uh, they find themselves on a, on a highway, the, uh, they find themselves on a road, and Forky's just saying, I just, I'm just trash, I just want to be trash, and Woody says, you are not trash, look at your feet, which are like popsicle sticks. But he said, look at your feet. Whose name is on them? Whose name is on the bottom? Bonnie's. Bonnie's. You see, who we belong to should determine our mission. It should determine what we are about. And we belong to the King of Kings. So we should get on in advancing the kingdom of God in Kingsport, Tennessee. 
We belong to Jesus. We are His. And everything we do flows out of who we belong to, of who our identity is in. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.